This week, Three Sides of the Coin, this is a blast. This interview is amazing. We go inside KISS from 79 to 82. We even get a story partying at Bill Coin's house and dropping a quaalude into a bidet. You've got to stick around to listen to this one. This is a great episode. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. You got Mike, you got Tommy, you got Mark. Uh, this is... Uh, this is going to be a fun episode. We laugh mm-hmm. our asses off. This is a great interview. Some amazing stories. Um, real quick, Tommy, any comments that you need to read? Because somebody made a comment on YouTube that he said, now I hope Tommy will read this and share it. I didn't see it, but I'll look. All right. Well, let me let me get to it real quick because I could okay, probably I find it yeah. faster than you. Um let me see here. Let me go open up YouTube Studio. This is too much pressure. Comments. Okay. Um, comments. 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 Right. Here, this is young. from this is from one cool medic. Did you know the people of Dubai don't like the Flintstones, but the people of Abu Dubai do. Maybe Tommy will read my comment now. Three sides rocks. Wasn't that Yabba Dabba do? Abu Dabba Dubai do, <laughs> which is a take on Yabba Dabba do. <laughs> there, there you go. One cool medic. Tommy didn't read it, but I did. So we read it. Yeah, you got the it. tool to do it. But there's actually a lot of great comments. People are loving uh, Frank's interview from last week, how honest and heartfelt and the insight he was giving into designing KISS merchandise. Yeah. Yeah. What a nice guy. Just yeah. Great stories from him as well, especially, you know, how he became a fan of KISS before. Well, he saw KISS on their first tour. Oh, and by the yeah. way, smart asses, it was a fucking root canal last week. <laughs> <laughs> Were you getting comments from people? Did you hear about that? I had a couple people. Uh... <laughs> you guys are the best. You guys Our are the fans best. are awesome. Thanks for letting Mark know. All right. With that said. Uh, all right. Yeah. With, with that said, <laughs> we, we have an amazing guest. He worked with a coin management from 79 to 82. He worked with mm. Boutwell in the KISS Army fan club, their last year of existence. He was there around the Eric Carr uh, drummer auditions. Uh, Mark Broder joins us. And man, some of the stories he shares from that time period, partying with Bill Coin in Bill Coin's house and dropping something in the bidet. Um just good good times you gotta let this roll we laugh we had a great time we actually learned some cool stuff from that era as well talking about talking about the elder talking about auditions mark had the offer to audition to join kiss and he passed it up find out why um let it roll we'll see at the end of the coin.com subscribe on youtube follow and rate us on spotify subscribe and leave a review on itunes we appreciate your support. Hey, Three Sides of the Coin. 
This is quite an honor. We're joined by Mark Broder. Now, let me give you guys just like one minute of Mark's back history here, and then Mark can go into a lot of this in detail. So Mark worked for a coin management for three years, Boutwell and the Kiss Army Warehouse for the last year of their existence. And he was at Coin from 79 to 82, which, as we know, was quite a tumultuous time for Kiss. Um, Dynasty Unmasked the Elder. He was there for drummer auditions to replace Peter Chris. Um, and, you know, I don't know whether we'll get into all of it, but you were also in charge of the auditions for Billy Idol's first U.S. band and John Waite's Ignition Tour band. So... Mark, welcome to Three Sides of the Coin. Thank you, thank you. Good to be here. So let's let's just go all the way back. Uh, how did you end up working for a coin management in '79? Uh, I'll try to summarize it. I moved from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I moved here to look to work in the music industry. I was a drummer already, but I kind of wanted to work something a little more stable, like you know, a music business job rather than just. Gypsy you want you wanted a job that could actually make money at, which is not a musician. <laughs> exactly, some stability maybe, but be around music. So I really, literally went around with resumes like fake bios that were like you know Mark Broder music business autobiography about my little work in uh, booking and business with a little eight by ten Xerox of me, and I handed it out to everyone: Electric Lady, uh, you know, ICM, uh, management companies, record companies, and it was around the time of the record business crash. You know, 79, when all the money was going out. And, um, you know, it took me like six months, but I got a call back from um, a coin. I bumped into a guy named Lee Friedman. Do you know that name? No, Lee Friedman. Why do I know? I, I, the name sounds familiar, but I can't part, say. It's a big part of Bout on the Aqua. He was like the vice president there for a while. One of Bill's close friends. Uh, but he kind of, he looked like a little, like a little Gene Simmons, like, you know, uh, nice suit long black hair and I met him on the elevator and I told him what I was doing there. You know, what are you doing here, kid? I'm like, he said, um, hey, how would you like to be the president of the Barry Manilow fan club? And I was like, um, uh, I don't know, yeah, whatever, okay. So they called me, I had to meet him at a hotel. I dealt with this stuff. Eventually I got to a coin and the job was uh, Kiss Army, you know, working, helping to run the Kiss Army. That was the job. It wasn't at a coin proper, which is at 645 Madison, this was at 251 Park South. And um, I worked there until there was like no one left. I was kind of the last man standing there, uh, carrying the last pieces of furniture out of there. Uh, but I eventually, when that happened, they brought me into a coin management and I worked there for a few years doing like Guy Friday stuff. You know, I was doing mailroom, I was doing uh, retail record calls, I was doing running errands for Paul, like uh, taking their jeans into a place called Skin clothes where you know they kept ripping their leather pants like i take them to get repaired i'd order cakes for paul to have sent to girlfriends out in california because he was like bragging about the greatest bakery in new york you know have this shipped to me bring it to the airport you know like anything and everything fun you know funny stuff but um but also well, let, let, let me let me ask you real quick about mm -hmm. the 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 boutwell kiss army okay um so yeah you 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 you, you talked about how you were there until they basically the turned out the lights and sold everything off. And as a KISS fan, I remember, and this would have been 79, 80 maybe, okay. that I finally got around to wanting 
got around to getting the money to join the Kiss Army. You know, <laughs> like I think a lot of Kiss fans, you'd get those the merch forms and the albums, and uh-huh. I'd always fill out everything I want, and then be like, "Well, kid, I don't, I, I don't have ten bucks." So, yeah, and no. end of the deal. You know, it stops there. Well, it was, it was definitely, I think, around the Dynasty era that I did. I joined the Kiss Army. I sent in my money, and. I remember, and, and and maybe you can add to this, I remember getting a little package and a letter back that said, we're sorry, but the KISS Army is being shut down, but thank you for whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they gave me a Dynasty Tour t-shirt mm-hmm. and a, I think, a Love Gun Iron-On t-shirt transfer. Right. What was going on? Why was Boutwell, why was the KISS Army fan club closing shop? I, I think it's pretty much directly. It was mismanagement, honestly. Listen, we worked at two fifty one Park Avenue South. Next to us was two forty nine Park Avenue South, which was the Better Business Bureau. We would get sacks of mail from them every day. They could have just brought them over, but they came in the mail because the orders weren't being filled, the stock wasn't being filled. They, they, it, it was, pro- I think, really because at that time in the record industry, there's a lot of decadence and t- things going on, and somehow. I think Bill had this other guy running the place and it wasn't being run properly. Nobody's really, it was like, who's minding the store sort of. And, and the problems kept building and building. They weren't able to fulfill orders. Refunds are going out. And eventually, I think someone told me, I don't know this. They transferred a lot of the stuff. I saw the big truckloads you know, of, of merchandise go out. I think they might've continued on Long Island for like a year. Someone told me there was some continuation of it. Not sure about that, but my experience was it was mismanagement. No one was really paying attention. When I got there, there were problems. And a year later, it just got worse. And, you know, and, we and, and, and were, were they were they not staffed? Didn't they have a, they had not enough people to do the fulfillment and the customer support as well? We were we were doing it to a point, but there was just. Whatever started the Kiss Army, whoever built it, there was no one left to keep building. We were just trying to keep up with it. You know, there was no one in an executive position there managing it properly we were almost like you know just workers trying to keep the orders going it's like they no- gave the art the, the fan club to a bunch of kids and said here run pretty with much. yes pretty much i would say yeah not i was 21 there were some people there 25 but maybe 30 tops but yeah it was basically like who's minding the store towards the end and uh, we were sending free stuff to people you know i felt bad for kids i mean you know i took it personally i read these heartbreaking notes uh, uh you know we were get we get showered with like chaz cologne you remember uh, paul once said what's your favorite cologne chaz so then we get bombarded with girls sending chaz cologne for paul hey give this to paul yeah i want him to have it uh you know i took i had a bottle or two at home you know i was a kid it's a so mark so mark so what you're saying is you got the envelopes say a kid put five dollars cash in or their parents wrote a yeah. check yeah and you you would just fill the order that way and that's when they I came mean, to it, my, yeah when they were, came by hands, I did everything I could to fill those orders and overfill them because a lot of times these kids were waiting months and it was just like, it, it wasn't my job to correct the problem. My job was just try to get the orders out. And if it's not there, you either put them on hold or you send refunds. And when kids say, it's been three months, I gave you my money, I never got it. I just ship, you know, a lot of shit out to them, you know, as much as I can. It's, it, it was just not well balanced, you know, it just, it was, it was not, a priority anymore, you know? And part of it was, I think, because of a peak in drug use at that time in the record industry. And 
the management company was where the action was. And this was just like this thing that was, they had a guy running it or no one running it who just, it wasn't a priority. They had other priorities. And was this, was Boutwell only running the KISS army or were you, were they also running this? Because you mentioned Barry Manilow, yeah. were they doing yeah. this for other artists? Yes, I didn't deal with that too much, but there were like David Bowie posters there, the cars, we had cars um, programs, you know, so there was some mix, but most of it was 90 to 95% KISS at that point. Boutwell, you know, spread out to other touring merchandise, but we weren't really running that anymore. It was just some leftover stuff. Uh, we weren't really getting orders for that anymore. When I worked there it was 95% KISS and I saw their stuff laying around like David Bowie uh, silk screens and, you know, posters, a few. It was very scattered, five, 10%, what used to be maybe part of Boutwell. But I was really Neaqua. They called it Neaqua, right? Yeah, a coin backward. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I worked there at a weird time. It was just a time where things were crumbling there. And then of course, by the time I got to management, it was the sort of- well, Mark, let me, let me stop it because I've always been fascinated by it. Oh yeah. So did the checks stop showing up or or did the mail stop showing up with the order? Because during Dynasty, on the kids were, I would think, were, that's what I never understood about the Kiss Army, because by 81, you know, it was done. But again, they were in all the 16 magazines. I would have just assumed that they were still those. So in, in other words, so... If you're one of the people, that's why I asked the question earlier, you're getting checks, right? And then you, you just go, you know what? We don't have any more t-shirts to fill the order. We have no more product to send. Mm -hmm. Do we send those checks back? And like Michael said, I'm, I'm a big, as you can tell behind me, I'm a big kiss collector. I have <laughs> those documents. I also have them from 78 that say, we're sorry you've had to wait so long. Here's mm -hmm. an extra patch or something. Exactly. And so, then I also have the one that Michael says, hey, we're, we're discontinuing this and we're, here's the merchandise. So I, I, as a collector, I've been able to follow it, but yeah, it little... never made sense to me that I'm like, well, did they just stop? I, I, I mean, because we've seen, I've seen video of the inside of the, where they were, you know, matter of fact, it's on the land of hype and glory, I believe. That was an NBC thing from 78. And they show the warehouse and, and where, how they were. So take me to the last days of that. You continually getting checks, but there's no, there's no merchandise to fill the orders. Well, what you just said taught me something because you're talking about 78. You saw problems. I would have noticed that. I wasn't a Kiss fan. I wasn't working there. So the problems were being in 78 with mismanagement then in stock and getting orders through by the time i got there in 79 it was already drowning a bit into that and we were just doing damage control at that point so they just didn't seem to care enough to save it you know they were letting it go and the mismanagement continued yes we should send refund checks back i'd send some nice checks back with merch like you guys were getting whatever was on the racks give the kids something because they've suffered you know I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a musician. You know, I, I, I wasn't a businessman. I was someone saying, hey, this kid got screwed. Do what I can. Send them something, you know. Uh, so that's what we were doing. It was almost personal at that point when we could do that. You know, it was like up to us, basically. Was, 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 was anybody in your office like 
I don't know if it's going, you know, running running it up the chain of command directly to somebody like Bill Coin or Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley saying, hey, guys, it's a freaking mess over here. You know, we, we, we this is this yeah. is bad. Or did they just not care or did they not know? I I don't think the guys knew. Um, I, I really couldn't tell you because I worked under this guy, uh, Richard Truxell who uh, was running it sort of, but uh, you know, very loosely, um, but he was running it. And again, everybody who was involved, who had any power to do anything, had a very casual attitude about it. So it's like, again, who was giving the orders? I don't think anybody was. It just, once it started downsliding and it might've been in 78 then, they never stopped it. It just never came back. And I think it kept going to the point where I mean, I don't know if they declared bankruptcy for that company. They sh probably should have. They probably did. I mean, the amount of refunds and money they owed, I don't know the results of it. When I got to a coin, there was no more discussion about the KISS Army. You know, They um, probably lost millions of dollars. Right. Well, in just in, in, in business they could have had, mm -hmm. and then business they did follow through on. So financially, and I've never, you know, I don't remember ever discussing it with anybody. Maybe, you know, Chris Lent should probably fill you on that unless he has, but you know, I worked a little with Glickman Marks, but I never had that conversation with them. I never said to them, what the hell happened? You know, I, I don't know if I cared. I'm curious like you are, but I don't have the final answers. Chris Lent could probably fill in some of those gaps to say financially what was going on there, you know, about writing the checks. Because I was not part of that. You know, I was small at that point. And by the time we got to a coin and Kiss Army was just done, history. It's, it's It seems like what's... What's common here is the Kiss Army fan club was in in a complete mess, and Kiss was in a complete mess. Everything was in a complete mess in this era. Management was getting messy. Bill was interested in other bands. Mm -hmm. Kiss was losing Peter Chris, eventually losing Ace Frehley. Um, their 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 shining star as a band that could do no wrong had long set. I mean, but 79, they, 80, 81, 82, they were basically making mistake after mistake after mistake. Um, it, it almost seems like it, what you were dealing with was just one small part of yeah. an overall band business that was in the same mess. Yes, I, I agree. So when I went to a coin, a coin was running pretty well and they had good people there working. I mean, you know, Ken Anderson was still there when I worked there. You know that name? Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. actually own a bunch of his gold records. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I worked with Ken and um, Stephanie Tudor. Rick Alberti yep. was the vice president. Uh, uh, who else was there when I was there? Uh, I don't know, but they were talented people who were part of the KISS team and they were doing their job. But uh, we know what the, the taking the makeup off, I wasn't really part of that stuff, but you know, some people didn't like the fact, they didn't like the change in sound and unmasked from what I hear. They didn't like the repackaging, the slicker kiss. And then the elder, you know, it's like, what were they thinking? Um, uh, you know, I don't know, but it was awkward. It was certainly awkward. It, you know, I was at the, like the eye video, you know, that they did. Yep. The video for, yeah. I, you know, it, it was like, they were trying everything, but you know, obviously I guess the elders considered their low point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, lots of, I shouldn't say lot, um, many fans will say it's one of their favorite albums, but we just know from a, 
from a career and business standpoint, the album bombed. They never right. toured. Right. Um, it was it was all but a nail in their coffin that if they hadn't come out with Creatures of the Night as a follow up, right. um, mm -hmm. they would have been over. But at the same time, and you mentioned the makeup, mm -hmm. I think they'd also reached a point, even probably from going back to 79 onward, the makeup had run its course as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's a well, big risk for them to decide to do that. The Elder was a big risk, and taking their makeup off was a big risk. Eventually, the makeup worked out. You know, that didn't hurt them, really, I don't think. I mean, you know better than me, but the, but the concept album of The Elder, like, what do we do now? When I was there, I just remember that Killers had come out, too, the import. Yep. Killers mm -hmm. record, right? That was before Creatures, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. after after The Elder, right before Creatures, right. Killers came out. Right. And so only I came out internationally it wasn't yes. released in the u.s right yeah i had a copy to it it was basically a best of with four new tracks right yeah yep. yeah yeah uh -huh. well that's yeah. that's one thing i want i because again like you said mark you're admittedly not a a self geeky <laughs> kiss fan and and i want because again we like to talk about the timeline here mm -hmm. like michael said and yes you know in 2023 there are fans that think that the elder is you know, this wonderful thing. And, and by all means, they're not wrong. However, I respect No, no, no. However, hmm. the fact is, when that thing came out, it couldn't have bombed any more than it bombed. It was, an, bombed. It, you know, we, we, we were all diehard Kiss fans and lived yeah. through that release. Uh -huh. So we know basically the how embarrassing we and how hard happened. it was. We yeah. know we, we know what actually happened, not revision the fallout, history. The fallout from yeah, that. yeah. Again, do I mean as somebody I remember being horrified when I got through that thing mm -hmm. be, because it didn't sound like it was bad enough, like Dynasty and then on Mass, you know, you know, they really lost their edge. But then when the when the elder came out, you're like, what the fuck is this? It's not that it was horrible, but if I wanted to listen to shitty pink Floyd, I'd listen to shitty pink Floyd. And yeah. that's, you know, <laughs> that's not what, and, and again, they were, and, and, and admittedly the band Gene and Paul will say, you know what, we're trying to appease everybody, but the people we should be trying to please, which is the fans. Mm -hmm. And that's how come Creatures was such a turnaround. They're like, you know what, these kids liked it when we were playing loud, aggressive, hard rock. Guess yes. what we should probably do? <laughs> Play loud, aggressive, Get hard rock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, and that's what happened. There's, there's no great, you know, visionary thing there they realized they screwed up and if they didn't get back on track like mm -hmm. now um you know then they yeah. it, things they wouldn't work out yeah so, when, oh, so mark that's my next question so uh -huh. when when did you stop working near you know in the kiss universe when did when when did you stop i'd say killers was coming out some months after that Creatures of the Night they were starting to work on. I slipped out somewhere around then. Okay, uh, now now that makes sense because I'm trying to get your timeline. Yeah, yeah. And you and, and your every name you're checking off, and, and the geek in my head's going, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. You know, those people had to be kind of scared to see, you know, people like Kenny Anderson and stuff. Had to have, these this is what they were was feeding their families. Yeah. Oh, they 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 were there when it was succeeding at the top of the world and now they're sitting here going holy What's crap you know am i gonna am i gonna have a job tomorrow because we don't know if the band is gonna be here tomorrow yeah. 
there were meetings and there was concern, but I wasn't part of them. You know, I was sort of, I wasn't that deep in. I was like the lowest, one of the lowest on the totem pole. Yeah, but 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 I think as we all know, anybody who's worked in a company, even mm -hmm. if you aren't in the meetings, those yeah, people can, at I, the bottom of the totem pole are like, something's not right. There's there's rumors, there's rumblings, there's office, right. office gossip going on. You had to have been hearing, feeling, and experiencing that. To a point, but they were, they seemed to be, uh, desperately trying to do a, like they were starting to manage producers at that time. Uh, Rick Alberti was managing. It was a good idea. They started representing producers. They represented Mike Stone, Chris Kimsey. Um, what's his name? Uh, who did the Who? Uh, who are you? They, th John Astley. They had like four amazing producers, and they made that part of their business. Then they they just didn't seem to be spending enough time on. They didn't seem to know how to save Kiss, so they started expanding. I when I was there, New England. You know, we were promoting New England. Yep. John Waite. Uh, I think they just went, Billy Squire was kind of, or Piper was over. Um, they were just doing a lot of different things. I don't really know. I went to see, the one show I saw was, uh, you know, with Eric at the Palladium. I think it was maybe the only Kiss show I've seen. Um, and everything seemed to be on the up and up at that point. You know, things were getting better. They And they went on tour. I just remembered it was during the Australian tour, 1980 Australian. Yeah. yeah. So that went well, I think, uh, as far as I know. So well, that was that was a huge success for them right. in Australia, you know, and they even toured in Europe for the mm -hmm. Unmasked album. They had Iron right. Maiden. It was just their home home country of the United States, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, Kiss was dead in the United yeah. States, and right. and and for any band to be an international success. You kind of got to be successful in the United States as well as everywhere else. Right. Well, I think smartly, you know, I think, Bill, while they were sort of rustling around trying to figure out what to do here, they did send to Australia and they were doing stimulating things that were helping the band. They were kind of killing time, I think, and probably until they got to something like Killers and then uh, Creatures of the Night, Creatures. you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, what, were we talking like two years that were pretty slow and low two or three which probably was like 80 79 80 to 81 82 right well 79 they were you know they were they were touring the united states i was later 79 so it was well i mean they toured all the way till december the last date was in december toledo and then mm -hmm. you know peter leaves and uh you know in in the first part of 80 they do the debut of Eric Carr in July in New York. And mm -hmm. by, you know, by the fall there, November, they're in Australia and then in Europe. Right. And, right. and so, you know, so they were, they were busy. The, the problem that they had was, you know, the home market and that's where the big bucks and that's, and it had to have been frustrating for them to be able to, you know, play nice sized places in Europe and and Australian play stadiums in in Australia and oh uh, they get come, come, come home come, and, come and, home to the U.S. and they're lucky to play to two thousand people when just a few years earlier they were playing to fifteen thousand people. I think they were running from their problems a little bit, but you yes. know making money still, but buying time, killing time, sort of in, in a constructive way. Um, I, you know, I still think I couldn't say if it was just mismanagement bad decisions they just couldn't figure out where to go next or again there was neglect there in in paying attention to uh, like a hundred percent paying attention to the band 
and say like the Kiss Army as part of that. But I just think because of the, that time, the record industry and the decadence and the drugs and the sexual you know, wildness going on, I think there was distraction there in management. I think the focus was falling off the band a bit. It wasn't like Bill Coyne and people were like not showing up to work, but I think there was a sense of not prioritizing the way they well, were. Well, you're, you're, you're 100% right because, you know, Gene and Paul have both said that that was one of the things that eventually led them to separating from Bill Coyne was Bill became Billy Idol and Bill became all these other bands and left focus on us. And we wanted right. to be the focus. And, mm-hmm. and rightfully so, we as in KISS are the bread and butter that's keeping your company right. you running and alive. Us. It's pain, We're paying the bills. And now, you know, I'd never known, and, you know, it's just news to me. I never knew that they were managing producers. And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, of course. Now, now Gene's like, okay, you're trying to do New England, and you're trying mm-hmm. to do all these other bands, and you know, uh, and and now you're pro- managing producers. What are you doing to help our career? Because our career is suffering. So, it's almost like a coin was trying to create additional business to supplement what was being lost from Kiss's right. poor performances. Right. But that in itself was hurting. Mm-hmm. Neglectful. A coin with Kiss and making it harder for them to succeed. It was it was a nasty catch twenty two. They were caught right. If so maybe if he would have paid more attention to what Mark is saying in, in the warehouse, he wouldn't have had to do right. so much of the other stuff. Right, but I think also when I'm thinking about it, I think it was said in the press. I don't think I heard it just as hearsay, but I believe Billy Idol eventually fired Bill Coin because he said um, something like you know, like, Bill, I love you. You've been great for me, but you're as fucked up as I am. You're more fucked up than I am. I'm Billy Idol. I'm supposed to be yep. fucked up. You're my manager. And Billy wanted to get, like, I think it was Bon Jovi's manager, somebody, you know, pretty big and more balanced and not as eccentric and crazy as Bill. So that says a lot. If they, if Kiss was shifting and having problems and they were with Billy Idol, and at some point, Billy had become huge, after I left, he was starting to climb up when I was there. So if Billy was firing Bill for that reason, then there you go. Well, Mark- that's kind of the same reason that, that that Gene and Paul brought up as their issues with Bill, too, was he was getting out of control with drugs and partying right. and everything else. The excesses that 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 came along with his success. But that's OK, because I think at to a point when people can balance it. But I think he lost balance because you know, people were successful. They were successful. I, it's not like I'm sure Bill and the people in the record business were like straight. And then they started doing drugs and fell apart. You know, they had a way to bet. I can't function on drugs. I never really did drugs, uh, but some people could function on it. And apparently Bill and people who enjoyed the excesses of the business were able to do it at, for a while. And then they weren't because something started going south and people were noticing. And maybe as things got worse, they got worse. Hey, Mark, can you can you talk about your how many times did you actually get to see and interact with the band members of kiss can you do you have any good well, stories or yeah yeah well the funny the weirdest thing i did was gene once said to me hey you want to make some extra money on weekends and i was like sure what do you need because I, I got some stuff in the house i need done and he was living on 64th and 5th at the time you know it's the apartment share design for him it was like uh you know it's like a three-story building it was along fifth avenue where all the 
ambassadors live, you know, beautiful mm -hmm. old buildings. And it was that kind of thing where the elevator goes up and, you know, opens into the apartment, you know. Uh, so anyway, my job was he had lots of gold records, too many gold records. And, you know, ones that he didn't care about as much, but that he just had shitloads of them. And he had this weird, cool, kind of dark lit bathroom that had fake like stone on it, like little panels of like gravel would be like a black and gray gravel. So the whole thing was like, if you pressed against it, it would be like soft, spongy gravel on the walls. <laughs> and he wanted me to wallpaper his bathroom with gold records, like try to make them back to back, just kind of wallpaper it with his gold records. That was my project basically. And it was fun because I got to hang out there, you know, Gene would be in his robe and he'd be in his, he had like a studio closet sort of where he would, you know, do demos and sometimes he'd play me stuff. And, um, and I got to, you know, know Gene a bit then, you know, uh, you know, we'd talk a little bit and he'd ask me about Bill and how am I doing there? And, you know, he was, he was a good guy. He was fun. You know, he, he you know, he was it being himself. He was, he wasn't on at that point. Um, he had, I, do you know about this apartment? Um, his apartment. I, 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 I just heard about it, but not great yeah. detail about it. He had it. like a beautiful green marble um, bathtub next to the bed. You know, like the bed was here and right next to it was like this beautiful green marble bathtub. It wasn't a big place. It was like low ceilings and all the rooms were kind of small, but it went long, you know, and, okay. and there was a chair at the time. He got it and she decorated apparently. When I was there, Diana Ross was part of his life. Like she, he brought her through the office, you know, it was around that time. But anyway, when I worked there, uh, one of the ridiculous things that happened was uh, it was really hard to, this is kind of boring, but placing the nails into the wall and being able to mark them because there was no white wall. If he wanted everything next to each other, it's kind of hard to mark it. So I was doing this. And at one point, one of the pictures fell and hit the dimmer switch. And when it hit the dimmer switch, there was like a smoky smell, like an electrical burning smell. Right. And so I kind of said, you know, Gene, this is what's happening. And he's like, uh, you know, we should check it out. Who knows what's going on in there? So he's like, I'm going to call the fire department and just go, we got a little thing. It's not a big deal. Don't send, you know, it's, a, it's not an emergency. Just send the guy over again. Just want to check it out. You know, three minutes later, there's a fire engine there with like eight guys come up the elevator with, with you know, axes and stuff. They're all like crowded in the elevator, all crowded at the apartment. You know, one guy goes into the bathroom uh, you know, and checks it out and said, if there's no sparks and there's no smoke, you're probably okay. Get it checked by an electrician. But, uh, you know, it was just really trivial shit going on there. You know, he'd order dinner and like French restaurants would deliver his food on silk with real dishes and silverware, you know, and he, then he'd ask me to bring them back sometimes to the, to the restaurant, you know, all the real dishes, you know, he just, he was just living the life and he seemed to be comfortable staying at home and, you know, doing his thing but he he did you know pay me separately to do these little side jobs and um i always liked him you know um the funniest thing about him i, I can't say anything bad about him or you know gene's whole you know he's old school i think he's a gentleman on some level he's old school with women and sex i think i think there's a respect there even though he's gene simmons but the only funny thing he did that was kind of his thing was he mooned maybe you know this he would moon receptionists he would just pull, his, he'd be like, say bye. And he'd pull his pants down and moon them and go out. Like that was one of the, <laughs> you know, first things he would do. But it's kind of clownish and amusing, but not terrible. You know, I, 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 he was, a, to me, he was a nice, fun, smart guy. And I never had any problems with him. I liked, 
I can get along better with him than Bill. You know, I like Bill. Bill was smart, but I was always like, Bill, if we could be friends, that's cool. But when you go off into this other shit with me being a young guy and stuff, I'm out of there. I can't, I can't talk to you, you know? So Gene would, you know, bust my ball sometimes too and say, Hey Mark, how, how are things going with you and Bill? You know, and he, <laughs> he was, he was a fun guy. You know, I would sometimes give him cassettes of some weird bands I was listening to and he'd check them out. And, oh, and then I, there's a tie in here because about, what is it? Four years later, I started working with EZO. You know, yeah. EZO. Oh, from Japan. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gene produced them. Yeah, so I got a call from somebody from Greg Gerson who was playing drums with Billy Idol and said, I, someone called me to do this weird job and hang out with this Japanese band coming here and help them out, get around the city. It's not a thing for me. I'm a drummer. You do it. You work, you work for management. So I, I worked really close with EZO. And when I got to the limo, Gene came here to um, go to a rehearsal with them in, in uh, Jersey Heights. And, you know, the limo picked us all up and I got the limo and Gene was like, hey, it's you. You know, it's like, we got to work together for a moment again with EZO. And um, I wrote a lot of lyrics with Masaki. I'm still friends with him. And uh, some of the lyrics are on the album. I have some credit on that first EZO record. Nice. Right. But that was by so, full Gene. Um, so, 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 Mark, you know, obviously, as we said, the, the era you were with a coin, things were just upside down and turmoil for, for Kiss. Uh, but amongst the band members, obviously, we know things were, and, and it didn't just start in 79. It had been building up. Mm -hmm. 79, we know that that Peter Chris was a big problem out on tour. And, you know, that was, he was, he was fired. And then Ace became a problem. What do you recall about the internal tensions amongst the four original members? This is the only thing I saw. Paul and Gene had a huge when I say huge presence, I see them in the office all the time coming in. Hey, how you doing? I work mostly with them. Ace rarely came in occasionally. Peter once or twice, he was already, oh yeah, they were working on Peter's solo records at that point when I was there. Out of Control Ooh. is it? Yeah. Out of Control, correct. And the yep. second one, Steve Stevens was on, the import one, that was the second. Let me solo. rock you. Let me rock yeah, you, yeah. I, I say second album, you know, after the four records. Uh, yeah, so I was there during that period. So they were working on that, but it was all separate by that point. So so Peter was like, hey, like he was like a guest who would pop in once in a while. So I didn't really have many interactions with them. Um, I went to a party at Aces once in, I think, Wilton, Connecticut. Uh, but they weren't very around much. I mo the presence that I was seeing in those years was Paul and Gene, mostly. It really was. I wasn't seeing much of Ace. Uh, I, ha I have a funny, uh, just thought of some. I have a funny tape recording because, you know, Ace was close with Anton Fig and I worked there with Spider at that time, too, which is where mm -hmm. Anton. And so it was the big secret was, you know, Anton played on those records, but he was paid to not get credit, as you know, right? Yep. Everybody knows. So yep. I would pick up Anton's mail. I was doing a little bit of everything. But one time uh, Anton would call me. We were friends and uh, he called me once and I had this recording at my house of like a, a message of like, a bunch of like walruses making sounds, just a crazy funny message. I forget what the point was, but he, Anton called me, he had Ace call me to hear it. And Ace did his like 20 second laugh into the- His cackle. <clears throat> yeah, his cackle for like 20 seconds. I mean, they were, I'm sure they were high and drunk, but you know, I saved that of course and tied it together to like a compilation of just Ace laughing for 60 seconds, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but I had that. So I, you know, I, there was the Anton connection 
I, I, I'm a drummer. I loved Anton. You know, I, I like Peter Chris, but like the way I like Ringo Starr, but I prefer Keith Moon. I like Peter Chris. He's got style, but I prefer Anton Fig. You know, so when you hear the drumming on on, on Mast and uh, Dynasty, you know, the you know, you could tell it's a different style. Oh, five for sure. Right, obviously. So that's just my lean. So you know, I enjoyed. You know, again, this was the world of a coin at the time. They were trying to invest in Spider. They were trying to invest in, uh, you know, New England. They were neglecting New England too. I remember um, that record came out. Todd Rundgren was walking wild, and and Hirsch Gardner was coming and going like. You know, we're going on the road. Nobody's promoting our shit. Like, you know, he wasn't happy, you know, and, and he was complaining because he was saying we didn't realize that all this money that a coin's spending on us, um, we have to pay back. We're right. not getting bills like for their excesses. He, and so Hirsch started taking the shit over saying, fuck this. I'm going to book our own hotels and do it our way. We don't need all the extra shit, you know, and, and, and he was right. He, he kind of took the bull by the horns and realized what was happening. So who knows? Yeah, Hirsch is a smart that. dude, man. He really yeah. is. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed them too. Uh, Calling out on me, you know, that song on their, yep. uh, that like very ACDC song that Hirsch sings. Uh, anyway, you know, I, I appreciated all the bands there, uh, including New England, but when I, we talk about it, they all had their issues and there were similarities to neglect, you know, and I was, gonna, I was gonna say it seems like a common thread amongst every artist and everything that was going yeah. on in in the coin world at the time was people were being neglected people weren't being paid attention to um people weren't focused you know and and yeah. it seems like maybe it's because of the excesses that came with all the money and the success that I, they were having i think so i think i really think and I have love for Bill just because he's a great guy. I mean, he's, he's a genius. He's a fun guy. He's a smart guy. But, you know, because of his excesses, I had a, you know, I, like I like if he pushed me too much, you know, I'm heterosexual. I have no problem with gay people at all, ever. But, you know, if he pushed me, I would have said, fuck you and left. You know, like I wasn't going to stay there to put up with his bullshit, probably because I wasn't a Kiss fan and I had a cool job. But if it was Alice right. Cooper, I might I might have held on longer and done some shit. I don't know. <laughs> but I didn't give a shit. I was like, I'll fucking walk. So, you know, I, I had my lines I drew and I was like, you know, and, but, but here, I'll, I could tell you a quick story about the excesses, which is, it's pretty funny. The first time I was at Bill's apartment, which was 35th, uh, oh, the 35th floor of Olympic Towers, which is Fifth Avenue and like 50th Street, right? Aristotle Onassis had built the building in the 60s, I think, beautiful. I don't know if you ever saw pictures of it. it was in House it's beautiful. an Ar Architects Digest. That exactly, day. exactly. Yeah. And you know, again, very like small rooms, but a big living room, but beautiful, high tech, but compartmentalized rooms on the thirty fifth floor. But he had a bathroom. He had probably two or three bathrooms. One bathroom was this huge bathroom, and I was in there, and I was like, you know, twenty one kid from Scranton. I had never done drugs. I I was I drank a bit, you know, maybe I smoked pot occasionally. Anyway, I met this party, and there's like a big giant plate of cocaine in the living room. And I was staying away from there. I was a little afraid of that, but I stayed away and I had my glass of champagne and I'm trying to be cool. And, you know, it's like my first party kind of hang out with the band and everybody there. And um, somebody hands me a little stick, uh, like a little plastic straw, you know? And I uh, said, so what's this? They say, oh, it's Coke. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I, I see people doing this and I put the straw in my nose and I, and they're like saying, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I'm doing the Coke. They said, no, no, the Coke's over there. 
You have to put the sweat in the coat. I thought it was like preloaded, like a Pez stick, you know? So a Pez like, stick. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I, I got it. So I go over and I'm looking for the coat, which is on this little sill, I guess. And I have my champagne glass and I put it down. And I'm looking, they're like, fuck, you put the champagne in the coat. You know, I did the Woody Allen thing. I put the champagne glass in the coat, you know? So they had to wipe it off. And then... Bill comes in and says, and I was warned about this, but it's kind of funny, but it, it tells the story. Bill comes into the bathroom and goes, who wants a Quaalude? And that was kind of his thing. You know, a lot of people, you know, give people Quaaludes, get them relaxed and whatever happens, you could maybe take it. You know, it was a thing. Yeah, right. So I do, I was warned a little about him. Hey, if you're going to work there, just, you know, you know, keep, keep your eyes open, be on guard a little. So this is literally what happened. So Bill uh, is giving out these ludes and I'm just talking, trying to ignore him, you know, cause I kind of only knew him a few months at this point. And he comes over and he's like, Quaalude? I mean, no, that's okay. He's like, come on, Mark, you, I said, no, no, that's okay. He said, come on. And he literally sticks it in my mouth. He literally wrote. And I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like about my future. I'm like, what am I going to do here with this? I'm like, okay, I'm going to play the game. I'm like, okay, you know, and I, did you swallow it? Yeah, 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 let me see. Uh, okay. So he leaves, you know, I have it under my tongue. I spit it out in the toilet. And then I continue partying and I move around this huge bathroom. And at some point I see Bill in the corner where there's like two toilets, one in here and one here. And he goes, who spit the quaalude out of my bidet? It was a fucking bidet, which I had never seen. So there's a screen on the bottom of it. It's like quaalude sitting up. So it was just, that was my introduction to drugs in the music business. And that was... Bill, that was Bill. So everything was there, and I never, oh. I never, I never really did Quaaludes, which I regret to say now. It would have been a great scene in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was, I know. It, I, I I could just picture like I don't know a Richard Pryor movie with something <laughs> like that, or yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, so Steve Martin or somebody yeah, who's just like what? But but the Woody Allen scene is you know he sneezes on the coat that kind of covers it. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it was interesting, but uh, it was dodgy because there were a lot of men in the business that were, you know, I, I had to learn, like when women would say, uh, hey, you don't know what it's like. I'm like, you know what? I worked for a coin in the music business in 1980, 82. I was harassed by a lot of men, you know. You kind of know what I it was, was like. I was, and I wasn't into it. It's not like I was gay and harassed, and that wouldn't be cool either, but you know, I'm saying I sympathize with you. It's not cool. And I was straight being harassed by gay men. So that was my learning experience, you know, trying to figure out how that grew up from Scranton to New York, you know? Well, so Mark, Mark, talk us through, um, Peter's, Peter's been fired. They need a new drummer. And yeah. you were involved in the audition process. Walk us through, you know, as fans, We've 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 seen like Eric Carr's audition packet. We've heard mm -hmm. little stories here and there, but you were there. You organized the auditions. Not not those. What 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 I did. What I mean, what I didn't do is yeah. You saw the list. I had that original memo that shows all the songs the drummers had to learn. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that list? Mm -hmm. Echo Coin put out. So I said to Bill, I don't want to have like a conflict of interest because I was like you know. I'm not here to be a musician and get a gig. I'm just here to do this thing as, you know, in the music industry, whatever. So I did say to Bill or Rick or something, I said, you know, I play drums. And they were like, do you? I said, yeah. I said, are you good? I said, yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, I've been playing for like 10 years since I'm 
15 years, sometimes seven. And they said, well, what do you want to audition? And I said, sure, you know, it's not too much of conflict. And Bill said, okay, here's the list. You do everything on that list, you know, we'll set you up for audition. And I looked at the list and, you know, it had all, you know, whatever it was, uh, Black Diamond. But the last thing was Beth. And it said, you know, lead sing, lead vocals on Beth, a background sing, lead vocals on Beth. And I'm like, I said to Bill, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I could do this. I said, but I don't really sing lead. You know, I'm not, and Bill just said, if you want to do the audition, we'll set you up for it, but you have to do everything. Like every other drummer on the list, that's what we need. And I just passed because I knew I could have done it and failed, but there was no reason to, you know, I just knew that I wasn't going to be the guy for the gig. I wasn't going to be the guy to want to get dressed up and make him. And I probably wasn't ready for it either at that point. You know, I'm a, a better drummer now than I was then. And I couldn't have sung lead. So I wouldn't get the gig. But were you were you there for other auditions, though? No, I was there as they were auditioning. I was not there for the auditions, but I was there when they decided on Eric. And they had me go down to the they were like, Eric's here. Could you go meet him, help him park? And it's amazing. Eric arrived in like a Volkswagen. Uh, filled with like car parts or plumbing parts. I think his dad was like a, a plumber or some Stoves. kind of mechanic. Stoves. Stove, stove repairman. Okay. So Eric, you know, the sweetest guy, uh, you know, he comes in and I meet him up front, tell him where he could park, you know, where the lots are. And that's how he came up to the office for the first time. And it beat up Volkswagen with all these parts in it, these, you know, mechanical parts. And, uh, and I was just there as he merged into a coin, you know, and, um, I used to go to the warehouse uh, on like 30th and 12th, you know, where they stored all the costumes. Uh, they set the drums up there. You know, they had the boots there. Um, you know, I, I got to go there a few times, um, but I was more part of, I wasn't in charge of those auditions. I don't know who was, and I wasn't going to them. I was just part of the Billy Idol auditions where, you know, I used to play with Billy with, when, they brought, when they brought drummers in, you know, uh, and so, or I play with him when they had guitar players going, when they didn't have a drummer, you know? So I brought people into the auditions and then I sat in as the backup band for the guitar players and bass players that were auditioning that I was bringing in because they were putting an ad in the Village Voice. Have you, do you ever see those ads? I, I Kiss did it too, I think. Like it said, Billy Idol seeks bass, drums, guitar, keyboards, you know, send tapes to Mark Broder. And I got these cassette tapes and I listened to them and, you know, just say, this is worth check out. This guy's played with Lou Reed. This guy played with Mahogany Rush. Like literally these great drummers that I had to say, sorry, you didn't get the gig. You know, you couldn't be too tall. You know, you had to have the right look. You had to have the right style. And they eventually got Steve, uh, this guy, Steve Missile, and then Greg Gerson. Anyway, I was part of that process, but not uh, the inside part of the Kiss drummer auditions. Do, do, you, do you recall any of the other drummers who did audition for Kiss? I don't. Uh, I mean, I know they considered Anton. I just don't know why. I never asked why, you know, he probably isn't the right guy, but I, I just, you know, he was the obvious guy, but I don't know why it wasn't him. I think he might have auditioned. I, you know, he was considered, but no, I do not. I did not latch into that part of it. I, I couldn't tell you. Do you, uh, remember, do you remember anything else about You'd mentioned the stove parts and, and Eric and his Beetle. Do you remember anything else about his excitement or anything else you can share with us about what that was like? Was he like a kid in a candy store? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was just, he was just like a ray of sunlight, you know. Uh, he, 
he just he didn't speak about it. He just was like a pig and shit. You know, he just came in and he was comfortable and confident and supported and loved. And I, I didn't see any insecurity there or anything. Um, uh, you know, he's just a funny kind of neurotic, fun guy. Uh, uh, you know, he used to show me like these exercises, like how to how did I have a double chin? You know, he would show me these exercises. How do you, how you do these things at your neck so you wouldn't have a double chin? And I, I knew him when he was with Pantera. You know, his, his girlfriend, Pantera. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. it was during that period. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't go on the road with them. I didn't spend too much time with them. I did errands and I, I saw them at parties, you know, like they'd have their parties, like Gene threw a party for Diana Ross, a surprise party at a roller skating rink. You know, I was there with them, but it was little social events, you know, that I yeah. was part of. I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't go on the road like Chris Lent did, you know, I. I have some pictures here, I think from one of these scrapbooks they have of that tour, you know, some crazy from their personal photographer. And, you know, but Chris was definitely, you know, he was obviously on the inside and on a wild tour with them, you know, like a lot of those guys were, I was not, I was just in the office. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, my, my job was limited. It wasn't that glamorous, but there were funny interactions, you know, with the guys and I got to like them all. I really did. I mean, I. I like them all. They're all good guys to me. For me, um, and if there are any excesses, you know, uh, I didn't have any issues with them. I, I, I respect them. I like a lot of their music. Um, I probably grab Unmasked before <laughs> the records to listen to. It's I think just, it's a great record. I love that record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Shandy's a little lightweight pop, but you know, uh, two sides of the coin. I mean, really, those some of those songs are just killer. You know, Ace, Aces especially. You know, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but you know, I. Like I said, I respect them. I'm not a fan fan. Oh, and one wait, thing, I saw, I saw Gene. Oh, no, one go ahead. Time, go ahead. I saw Gene one other time. I just remembered last time in 2000. Well, you would know when was Asshole out? The record. 2004. All oh, right. So that's the last time I saw. Is that right or 2008? Like, no, four. Mm, I think. No, it was earlier in 2000. Yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but I I went there with Masaki from EZO just to kind of there was a party there I got in for and. Uh, you know, we waited around a while and Gene came in with like, um, you know, a few Playboy bunnies on his arm and, you know, walked in and talked and they played music. And I, you know, said hi to him and Masaki said hi. He was glad to see Masaki. The last time I saw him, though, I, you know, I, I haven't seen him since. Um, and when I worked with EZO, uh, I would take Masaki to Jersey and they hooked me up with Kip Winger. Kip Winger was a new guy that they wanted to write songs with EZO. And I think Gene might've found him and Tom Peterson too, from Cheap Trick. Uh, hmm. So I, I would go to Jersey on like the, the train with these guys, bring them to this rehearsal place. And, and then Gene would come in occasionally and arrange stuff with them. Um, so anyway, that, that, you know, those are the, the, the rock and roll people I work with a little bit afterwards, you know, after the kiss thing, I got to work with Gene on that project a little bit. And, uh, and uh, that was pretty much it. I want to I want to pick your brain, Mark, just a little bit more on the elder. So <laughs> when 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 the elder was finished recording, and it was first being played for management and label, you know the, the you know the the descriptions in many books and accounts are jaws were dropping of like what the hell is this because you know it was prior to the recording it was being billed as this was going to be an incredible rock record you know this is kiss 
Uh, this is Bob Ezrin, who did the Destroyer yeah. album. This is going to be incredible. And then, so what do you recall the vibe, the feel being around the office, at least, when the finished recording was being heard now by everybody around there? Were people like, really, like, shit, did we, did they really fuck it up? I think they were miffed a bit, but I think mostly it was run by Bill's enthusiasm. It was sort of like, you know, Bill was like, he was aware that this is a big jump and it's really a, a weirdly mature, more serious route to go, but he was standing behind it. So it wasn't like, like I remember listening to it, I think on Reels maybe in the conference room where they had the Kiss puppet dolls, you know. Mm -hmm. the big and uh, I remember uh, them listening to it and everybody being, you know, it was impressive sounding, but I wasn't listening to it from the point of being a Kiss fan. I think the people in management were like, I don't know if this is going to work, but they were throwing themselves into it, you know, and, and I think quickly they saw, you know, immediately once it got out of that nucleus that it was being rejected, you know, as they knew it might be. But, uh, you know, like I said, I went to the I uh, video recording, you know, not a great song, you know, the video never, I don't think they didn't put it out, did they? Was no, mm -hmm. no, nope. it was got shelved. Right, right. So, I just think a lot of it was like, I don't know who came up with it. Uh, maybe it was Ezra and Bill and the Kiss, but I feel like Bill kind of pulled it through and was like the cheerleader for it. And everybody got behind it. And I don't know what kind of arguments or conversations went on with Gene and Paul and Bill. I would imagine there was some push and pull before they did it. I can't imagine they were just like, yeah, let's do it. This is great. Great idea. You know, it's obviously was risky and, you know, I mean, it's it's a, an insane record. I, I appreciate the weird experimental side of it, but for Kiss fans, I mean, it made no sense. It, they shouldn't have put it out, you know. It, Mark, were, were you privy to knowing that Ace was basically out in early 81? Did you remember any of, of that? There was whispering, and I, could, I remember hearing some of the executives talking about it being a problem, but no, it was never, uh, and I wasn't, you know, who was the next guitar player? Uh, wasn't Vinny, Vinny, wasn't, Vinny, Vinny wasn't Vincent. It? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't there for that. So the, the crumbling of Ace, I mean, you know, I just always heard that, you know, I heard stories about, you know, prescriptions being written, you know, uh, illegally, like, you know, the, they were, there was shit going on that was upsetting to everyone. They were trying to do damage control and stuff, you know, where, you know, obviously Ace and Andrew and Peter were hanging out, John Belushi, you know, there was, there was talk, uh, that was before this time, but it's still, everybody talked about it like it was a problem, you know, but they were trying to do damage control always. We, and I we, never... we had, we had seen a, a, a coin management memo. And mm -hmm. I think we did, Mark, did we, did we get that from the, the guy Mark, who did the, that was Mark Rabbits, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he, he was the guy who did stage concept designs correct, for correct. the Elder Tour that tour, never happened. Which that didn't correct, and that was one right. of the things. And one of the memos in there from was the coin management was the budget for the tour. Mm -hmm. You know, how much money we're going to have and blah, blah, blah. One right. of the line items was paying a lead guitar player hmm. for the Elder Tour, which never happened. So... It seems like as far back as the elder, yeah. at least the 
the core internal coin team knew Ace was yeah, not there anymore. I didn't. I didn't see that memo, and I have a stack of memos here, and I made the Xeroxes of all those memos. I think there were executive memos that went on that were just kept, you know, amongst very top level, four, yeah, four people, four people, not the ten of us who worked there. Because I, I have a, you know, I have memos like, hey, we're going to work with Billy Idol, you know, new artists we're pushing for, you know, he's going to be on Chrysalis, so we're going to get behind him, and, and you know, and there were, but the Kiss memos were, you know, lighter, and it was, it was about TV appearances and, you know, certain things happening, but there was never anything intense like that that was a giveaway to what was so the problem. It, it, it seems like management did a pretty good job, even controlling what employees were hearing and knowing about what was going on in the kiss world i mean you get you work for a coin and you weren't even really aware that ace was on the outs they they yeah. were doing it not only were they controlling that from the kiss fans and the public and the record label which we all yeah. know they were doing back then too close to the they, inner circle i was in yeah it, but... you were as close to the inner circle as you could be without actually getting into the circle yeah uh and maybe if I was a little bolder and, and more of a, uh, or taking risks as a fan, I might have done some things that would have been inappropriate, like, you know, recording stuff or listening to stuff or like getting in to places where I shouldn't be. But I, I as a as a non fan, I, I wasn't making trouble for myself because I couldn't help myself. You know, I mean, I if they created a wall there, I just accepted it, you know, and then when the executive wall was there for meetings, I wasn't part of it, and they didn't speak openly about it. What, you what, were, what you about, were gone before a coin officially was left then. Right. Well, when I yeah. got there, they had two floors in this big building. When I got there, they let go of one of the floors. So by that point, they were already went in half. You know, so I, I didn't know people would talk about, oh, 14th and 15th. When I was there, it was just 14th. I, I, I don't know when they closed officially, 83, 84. I didn't know. Do you know how long around they were around? Because I was gone. Do you know when they they closed shop? Well, I, I don't know how. I mean, didn't a coin continue on as his own with like Billy yeah. Idol? But he was done with Kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. By eighty, by eighty three, he was yeah. he was out. Uh, and he was done with Billy Idol soon after that too, I think. Um, so, and then he wound up in Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Miami, managing bands and stuff, and. Uh, and I used to go out with Bill occasionally. He'd hear of a new band coming in from Chicago and they do a showcase for him. We'd go to SIR and he'd check them out. And then we wind up back at his apartment and, you know, Quaaludes were given out. And, <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it was kind of a thing, you know. So this is part of the problem, probably. You know, I, like I said, I'm sure this went on in the music business all the time. I was a little naive, but I figured it out and saw it. But if things aren't going well, well, then there's a problem because then you're not getting the job done and you're having too much fun. Mark, Mark, an another question I've got um, related to the elder. What do you recall about the costume change? Obviously that was, the elder was a big image change. Hair was cut, platforms were gone. Mm -hmm. Do you recall any discussions? Yeah, yeah. Do you recall people seeing early designs? What, yeah. what, what was the, that like? I remember seeing sketches, you know, like pencil sketches of the new ideas. And I can't remember the woman who was doing, you might know the clothes design at the time. Big um, C? She, or, Big oh C. no, the, the, the woman. All who was right. doing the, actually making clothes for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that Maria? Uh, yeah. 
maybe it's uh, i think she was an italian girl uh yeah you know, i mean she was you know super talented i mean she was making these clothes so she was in and out of the office and sometimes i'd see sketches of the different ideas you know with, with shorter hair and sometimes for album cover ideas like you know uh what they were considering doing, you know, for the album covers with the guys on it, with the guys off it. But it was very sketchy, literally. It was just like pencil drawings and things. Um, again, I don't remember too much discussion about the creation of the, the record and the cover and all that, you know. I just remember seeing it when it came out and looking at it and being like, well, this is a little bland. I mean... <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, know? I was going to say, as, as Kiss fans, you know, the elder was the first Kiss record that Kiss didn't appear on. Right. And, and you know, and as a Kiss fan, I've always talked about, that was the cool thing is every album meant new costumes and that was the yeah. big reveal on the album and you were looking at it and mm -hmm. taking it all in. And with mm -hmm. The Elder, you're like, I, you know, I don't even know what these guys look like. If you hadn't seen them in 16 Magazine or something else mm -hmm. like that, you were like, I don't know, what is Kiss? I don't know, Kiss has changed at all. So The Elder... They're enigmatic now. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, I, I, I actually found it interesting where you're like, yeah, you know, saw rough sketches of like covers that they would have been on, not on, man, I'd love to dig into that more. It's like, what kind, what would a, you know, what a cover for the elder would have been with them on the cover? How were they presented the band? How, you know, how, what were they thinking of, in that terms back then beforehand. And then, then how did somebody sit down and go, no, screw that. Let's just not put the band anywhere on here. I mean, why, what, you know, and I'm not asking you to give me the reason, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm asking what are the reasons in behind this? Were, 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 was somebody like, well, you know, this is a pretty dramatic change for Kish visually. Maybe we hide it from the fans and it doesn't oh, shock them nearly I as much. I feel like it was a stall. They were buying time until they could really... I think Bob Ezra was a big part of that package, that decision of how to present the concept. I just read something today about in um, Goldmine Magazine, Gene Simmons' favorite records. Yeah. Uh, and he named Tommy as one of them. And yeah. he said something about Tommy being like the only record like opera that that worked like that. He said, we tried to do it with the elder and failed miserably. You know, that's kind of what he said, like trying to do a concept record. I mean, how could you possibly compare the elder to Tommy, you know? Uh, but trust me, some fans will. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gene did, Gene did, but he was saying like, oh, it's not easy to pull off. We couldn't. Amen. One, one iota of, of Tommy. So I did. I've never heard him acknowledge it like that. You probably have, but uh, I just read that today. Um, so no, I don't have any really behind-the-scenes secrets about uh, what went on. Uh, well, yeah, no, Mark, this was still fascinating. Mm -hmm. I mean, even even just your your additional info about Boutwell and the Kiss Army at the beginning. I mean, you're filling in a lot of little stuff we never heard. That that that. <laughs> You know, we're missing pieces of, and yeah, again, trying to imagine. Seventy-nine to eighty-two. Yeah. So much changed in that three-year period for Kiss. Yeah. Um. That that you know, I find it fascinating. It's just like what was going on in that world during those three years because they went from the highest high to the lowest low, and fortunately. 
they were able to save themselves and come back out by taking the makeup off. But that was a pretty dramatic fall and change for a band as massive as Kiss was. Right. Yeah. I think I think they were just they were moving quickly to keep recreating themselves. You know, it's like from a mass to the elder and then from the elder right into killers and, and Eric being the other thing, like let's push Eric now. Now we're a fresh new band with Eric. Like they were, you know, the, the Australian tour, they were doing things that were distracting and stimulating on some level while they were trying to figure out how to, how to solve the problem here. I think, you know, it felt optimistic there for the most part. It, it felt like they were, in a, in a transition period, but at the same time, the way Bill presented, the vibe was like, hey, we're, we're still happy. We're working on this and this and this, and you know, Kiss is gonna be here. They, they just, it, it seemed more optimistic, the vibe that Bill provided there um, than not, you know? And um, I just remembered something. I think, yeah, I remembering the costumes again, because around that time they did all the costumes with, I think, what year was it with Peter with all the feathers and stuff? Was that like Dynasty? That was 79. 79. That, was, that was the Dynasty tour. Right. So I was around during that period. And then when they did the costumes for Eric, too, when they were, you know, figured out yeah. the make at his outfits. And, and that's when I went to the uh, warehouse. I saw a lot of those outfits there. And uh, I found like a, a, I have a green feather. I think that was part of one of the outfits. Uh, maybe Peter's. I think he wore like green feathers. Yeah. Green, green, green fur. Yeah, yeah. shoulders and stuff yeah. yeah but they had and they had eric's drum kit set up in this huge warehouse where i think he would just go down and check it out or you know make sure all the parts were there you know uh it was yeah it was a cool warehouse down on 30th and like 12th avenue in manhattan and it was a cool place it was like a museum you know uh i remember touching gene's boots that were just sitting there and you know it was it was fun you know it was fun for anybody i was just sort of I would have preferred to be Alice Cooper, but, uh, you know, I was at Maury Soul in 72, you know, the Puerto Rican rock festival, Maury Soul. No, no. you never heard. Oh, anyway, no. it's this wild rock festival. I went to when I was 13 with my dad and it was like Alice Cooper and Rod Stewart and Emerson Lake and Palmer. It was in Puerto Rico outside. And, uh, That's crazy. Anyway, I, yeah, yeah. It, well, there's I, a document of that. I have it. That's that's there's yeah. a, the live the Alice Cooper live show. Ding. Right, and and Otten Sweaty by Cactus is live at Maury Soul. It's called yeah. It, there's there's a lot of things. If you look it up, it's a really weird festival that it was Billy Joe for the Piano Man. I saw him doing mm -hmm. Jumping Jack Flashes in Encore. Nobody knew who he was. It was a bizarre, you know, BB King, Mob Vision Orchestra, Dave Brubeck, but. It was great. It was a great time. It was 72. And uh, I was an Alice Cooper fan. And um, I met them all on the plane on the way home. And uh, well, I'll tell you something really quickly. Uh, when I met them on the plane, I had recorded all the, sh the sets. I, you know, I was a kid. I had a cassette player, of course. And I recorded Alice Cooper's set. And Alice was pretty drunk at the time. It wasn't a great set for him. But I, the guys were on the plane sitting right behind me. We happened to be on the same plane going home from Puerto Rico, San Juan to New York. And I was again, pig and shit. I'm on the plane with my favorite band and Alice was in first class. So I'm talking to Michael Bruce from the band. And I said, you know, he's listening to uh, music with his headphones. And I said, you know, I have the set from last night on cassette. He's like, do you? I'm like, yeah. I said, could I listen to it? I said, yeah. So he's listening to it. And he said, can we borrow these? And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, we have these things called like cassette duplicating machines at a mansion in Connecticut. And uh, we can make copies of them and send it back to you. And I was like, 
you know, I was impressed, but I kind of didn't want to lose them. And he said, go talk to Alice upstairs, <clears throat> make arrangements, write your, your address into the cassette tapes. There were two of them and we'll send them back to you. <clears throat> so I did it and Alice, you know, reinforced it. Yeah, that's great. If you have them, we'll do it. Like two weeks went by, I didn't get them. My father sent like a telegram to their mansion in Connecticut. I called Shep Gordon, you know, Alice. Mm -hmm. I called him, I kept calling him on 13th Street, his office. I knew where it was. And they finally put him on the phone. I'm like, hey man, the band told me, they borrowed my tapes. I really want them back. I'm a fan. And he's like, what do you mean? You recorded the band live? You bootlegged the band, right? I'm not sending those tapes back. I'm like, well, Emerson, like a Palmer, Rod Stewart on the other side he goes, I'll send you that back, but I'm gonna erase Alice Cooper and I'll send you those tapes back. And I got the tapes back the next day, coincidentally from Michael Bruce. Uh, and he had a postcard from like South Carolina where they're recording part of schools out. And he just said, uh, sorry for the delay. We've been busy recording. And I, I got the cassettes back from him. That's a cool, cool story. Yeah. Did they erase it? No. Good. But that's, but that's <laughs> so it was just Shep. Yeah, yeah, no, she didn't get him in time. That's the whole thing. It, you know the timing worked out but exactly that's record, yeah that's that, the record you, you were referring to live alice cooper live it's the the live one in puerto rico that's yeah i have some rough really rough cassettes of it anyway that's but that's great. how yeah that was that was a fun alice cooper story for me mark mark this has been fascinating i want to thank you for sitting down for over an hour here with this hour and a half um sharing your memories i mean again for for kiss geeks it's this little minutia that fills in holes in the story that, yeah. Always that wondering. Just, we, we, we live for. We live yeah. for a complete picture. I do, too. Uh, also, I want to show you something. Uh, do you recognize this? Do you remember it's when Paul Flo Stanley? Yeah, well, the Flo and Eddie. <laughs> do you remember the Flo yeah, and the Eddie? Flo and Eddie? Yeah. yeah, they're going to unmask Kiss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the shtick. We're going to unmask Kiss. It's a big deal. It was like a TV show, right? It's in the yep. video then. Right, but you know the story, right? It, 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 that's a picture of me. Really? Yeah, really? So they had a baby picture of Paul and Gene. It wasn't really them. There wasn't enough time to take pictures of them. And then they had a picture of me and Stephanie or something from the office as babies. And they put the star on my face. This is me at like five. Oh, that's a great oh. story. I know exactly. That's, that's awesome. Fantastic. That's, that's awesome. What, See, now we know who that is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's me. That's me, Paul Stanley. Uh, I think I think <laughs> I think it's like a JFK thing. You know, after so many years, you could tell the truth about it. You know, yeah, there you Paul go. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but I did. Can I give a shout out to um, Bobby Martin? Yeah, yes. he's, he's the guy who got in touch with me about some stuff I was selling on eBay, and he was trying to find a Village Voice where they were advertising to get some the KISS members in the band, you know, when they were, and anyway, yep. I told him I used to work with them. He said, hey, you should get in touch with these guys. I'm like, oh, I didn't know about it. And, you know, and I reached well, out to you. Thank, thank you, Bobby, thank because you, Bobby. this is an amazing, yeah. amazing interview. Turned out yeah. to be great. Yeah. And um, can I mention what I'm doing now quickly? Of yeah, course. Please. Of course. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say I used to play with Alan Merrill for about eight years. Do you know Alan Merrill from? Um, the Basic uh, Road. <laughs> no, no, I, I love rock and roll. He's the guy who wrote I I'm love messing rock and roll. with you. Oh, okay. I, is there another Meryl? Uh, anyway, I worked with him for about eight years. Uh, and, uh, you know, he wrote that that hit, you know, so I played with him. But now I play with someone named Palmyra Del Ran, who's on Little Stevens Underground Garage. And we're, uh, his label show. was recorded with uh, Debbie Harry, and she's got great, it's sort of like Joan Jett meets Surf Rock. And then I played with a band called uh, Joy Buzzer 
there's a great power pop band who's out there, you know, in uh, music land. You could, you know, download their stuff and check them out. But I've been playing drums for like 40 years and I'm still doing it around New York. There you go. Kiss fans, go, go, go check out Mark's band and, you know, after the show, pick his brain and become a Kiss geek. And yeah, yeah, I love, I'm, I geek out too. I just don't, a little less on Kiss, but I could do it. I could do it. Oh, no, you got plenty here. You got plenty here. And, you know, I actually find it fascinating because you're not a Kiss fan. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's so that means you see it in a different way than Kiss fans would, you know, and and we and we talk to so many Kiss fans and they're like, man, you know, it must be great for the roadies who work with Kiss. The people it's like they're not fans. It's a job. You don't get it. Yeah, it's just yeah. a job. They go from one artist to another artist mm-hmm. to another artist, mm-hmm. and you see the, the the glamorous, ridiculous, annoying, harassing, fun part of it, all of it. But you're not experiencing it as a fan. You're just experiencing it as a person with a with a good job. Hopefully, you know, a job that's yep. fun. You know, I wasn't making any money then, but I was a kid. It didn't matter. I was getting the experience of seeing all the shit going on. You know, so yeah. I, 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 I had a good, I had a good introduction to New York, you know, in the early eighties. Yeah. Good for you. Thank, again, thank you so Great much job. for sitting down and yeah. sharing these stories with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate thank it so you. much. Thank you. All right. Thank I'll you, Mark. Okay. Have a good one. Guys, that was, I love the kiss army about well talk. I don't know. You know, like, like we said at the end, we've never really had anybody on who's really been able to talk about it. And right. For him to be there, and as I said, that's when I, as a fan, wanted to join, and I got that letter. I, I got the letter in a box somewhere, you know. It's like, here, we're sorry. We're closing the fan club. And I'm like, fuck, what happened? Yep. But it's cool to talk. His, 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 his recollections were pretty cool during that era. Right on, man. You, you remember the names and the times. I got to admit, there was a bit of a skeptic in me. I'm like, because, you know, we didn't really – do much vetting or anything no no took everything at his word and i'm like okay let's see and man he he was nailing the timeline nailing the the people Uh, you know a couple minor things but of course again he's not a fan he's not he's not a kiss fan he wasn't there to work because it was cool to be a kiss fan he was there because he needed a freaking job i mean yeah yeah it just happened to be uh, a cool fucking job but his his timeline and recollections were for the most part i mean right exactly yeah. his he remembered that stuff really well and he was so passionate i love what a great guest what a nice person yeah. well now yeah. i understand why mark keeps offering me a quaalude <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm gonna check my bidet <laughs> oh my god Oh, oh nice one. Our, nice our, one. Our, our, our next three sides of the coin merch item is going to be a, uh, a Mark Chikini Quaalude. <laughs> and my oh, face on one funny. side and 714 on the other. If you, uh, wasn't oh, that- God. <laughs> yeah, his Mark's, Mark's story about that bill of coin party was just like. Jesus. <laughs> they exactly- gave me the straw. They gave me the straw and I just went. <laughs> That's, isn't that funny oh my god like, i can imagine that from like a gene wilder you know richard pryor movie of like richard pryor giving it to gene wilder saying, here get hot what yeah. are you doing that could have been that, a that, crazy. That, that alone again so many of these things from the quaalude to the 
it's stuff you would have you would have seen in a Mel Brooks movie. Threw the quaalude in my bidet. (laughs) And it was so genuine and so honest. It was so it was one of the things that I truly loved about it. Yeah. Yeah. How genuine it was. Yeah. Yeah. God, that party. I I could just picture that party as a Saturday Night Live skit. Oh, good lord. (laughs) Who put the quaalude in my bidet? Oh uh, no! So homework, people. Um, what did you learn? What did you learn from our 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 interview with Mark? I, you know, I think we learned quite a bit. And did um, you get a letter like Michael that we're shutting down the 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 fan club? Yeah, yeah. You know, or any uh, interaction with the fan club? Yeah, I mean, again, anything from seventy nine to eighty two might not be my favorite era of music. But that's the most interesting era to dig into what was going on in Kiss, right behind the scenes. Because without a question, things were happening. A million, oh, it, it, million like, different things were changing and evolving and falling apart. It was just, and you know, and I feel like we've still only scratched the surface of that that period of time. Yeah. Even though we've had Mark on and we've had some of the designers of the tour and we've had Chris Lent on. I still feel like it's just, we just haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's your homework. Talk, talk about what, what, what you, what you learned and what you loved. What was your favorite story from Mark in this interview? Um, and are you interested in buying Mark Chikini Quaaludes? Let us know. <laughs> Seriously, no, crazy. we're not. We're we're not selling drugs, people. It's yeah, a joke. No, it's a joke. <laughs> Maybe we'll make M and M's and we'll sell M and M's like with a Q on it or something like that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Um, all right, that's it, everybody. Three sides of the coin. We're out of here. We'll see everybody next week. Do you have something to say? Leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call three two zero five one five. For three sides of the coin, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.